tuned in to Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from a conversation I had with Matt Allen who works at Tottenham Hotspur Academy. And in this episode we discussed the differences between physical development across the age groups. Then we have a little chat around how he manages maturation through that period. But just before we do dive into this episode with Matt, I wanted to say a big thank you to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free AMS solution to allow you to collect reliable data, subjective data, and present it to your coaches and players, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. And it was the training focus variation through the age groups and how you structure things and potentially about the inclusion of, of play and multi-sports and how that runs through or doesn't run through as a thread across the age groups. And just to get a bit of an overview of what that kind of big picture looks like for you at Spurs. Okay. Um, I guess the, the way I've always seen it is it depends what the end goal is. So um, depending on where they are in the in the academy spectrum is kind of the focus that you're working on. And I guess the, the closer you get to the adult game, um, the academy manager's view of what they want to see players be able to do and what uh, is, is the ultimate goal. And then, so we then must make models that kind of regress from that. And so our model is a, a lighthouse model. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's something that everybody can understand. Uh, it used to be a house, but I found it, I thought it was a little bit too rigid in a, in a multi-directional sport. And I'll explain this, uh, bear with me. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, so I thought, well, if I'm going to present to players, I'm going to present to parents, I'm going to present to coaches or whatever it is. And we're going to be doing things in the gym, such as mobility work, stability work, uh, yeah, movement development sessions and, and, and all that kind of thing. I, I need people to be able to look at it and, and bring context to it. And so, if you're a nine-year-old, you can understand this this kind of model, and it's it's basically it's, it's physical assets of what you see above the water, uh, built upon built upon solid deep foundations in three three hundred sixty degrees. So, um, in, in my kind of cliche kind of analogy, it's uh, with, with the lighthouse, it has to be strong in all directions, be be robust, needs to be symmetrical. So, bringing in the work of like what Chris Bishop's doing at the moment and things is is fantastic. Like that that links in completely into our methodology. Uh, but also, um, it's uh, it, under the water, um, as I said a few times, mobility, stability. So we use FMS. I think we, we focus a lot throughout the um, throughout strength and power and everything that NOR boards and for, uh, force frames and everything that kind of gives you is, is, is a lot of it is about symmetry. And so why wouldn't our very low, slow kind of, um, actions focus on symmetry as well and so that kind of underpins our model very much and so we I want to be able people to be able to do things slowly before we do kind of speed them up um, and so that that is then kind of at the bottom then we kind of build through movement development um, and so that is that is a, a wide array of things we, we we use things through Carl Hallaby who have I've been unbelievably fortunate enough to have in my department now for a, for a year or so um, and he's uh he's brought in things like mace bells and and all sorts that we kind of we build circular strengths and movement development with regards to Turkish get-ups and all that as well 
as well as the movement development that you kind of see on the on the pitch and how do people accelerate how do they decelerate how do they change direction can you then merge that into um actions that they do on the pitch etc um and then uh, and then we build all the kind of assets above that so um strength obviously underpins it as well and then speed agility power so that's our kind of our model and and our focus throughout the age groups kind of develops up the lighthouse as we go so that's our, our as our snc programs go um our, our primary focus is building those solid foundations and strength is part of that and I, obviously with research uh, you know great research over the years that's been coming out on on strength should be a um should always be there well we use things like you say with play, like tug of war, uh, body body on body contact, being able to spin players and everything on on the pitch. Um, we 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 use things kind of functional strength, like but also through fun, like you say. Uh, that that's that's key for us that we get people get people smiling and with the younger lads we see their teeth uh, in 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 sessions and I guess. In the older age groups, we kind of get them to see their teeth in a different way, in a more of a comp- competitive way, and wanting to beat each other. and And I guess a lot of it is isn't very scientific, and it's kind of the un- the the kind of art side of player development that we that we that we kind of focus on as well, and um and and that kind of gets our outcomes. But uh, I guess obviously it changes with when lads are going through their peak high velocity. Um, the program doesn't necessarily change. the The emphasis may change based on the individuals, as I mentioned earlier with the the Q one and Q four example. Like we have to respect that. Uh, but I'm a big believer that uh, everybody benefits from a squat pattern. Everybody benefits from a lunge pattern. Everyone benefits from anti rotation. Everyone benefits from hip hinging. You know, so I think there's a lot of uh, exercises and and themes that you can you can apply throughout the week. Uh, regardless of of what age players are and whether they're going through their peak height velocity, etc., uh, just yeah, it's it's so that's kind of how our themes kind of progress throughout the uh, throughout the age groups, it, or where the focus changes. Um, so everybody from fourteen, so fourteen's uh, the fir- well, thirteen, sorry, the first ones that come in the gym, um, and we kind of got a bit of a saying where we develop from the inside out. So I want players to be able to contract their inner core the right way. And I want them to be able to hold isometric patterns before we then kind of build movement and everything on top of it. And so kind of developing, as I mentioned, yeah, from the inside to out. And so that a lot of it really is about being able to manage their body weight. Um, So you think about strength and everybody thinks about barbells and lifting weights. And strength for a a 13-year-old is is push-ups, is TRX rows, is really single leg squatting it is you know that's strength um and so we want players to be able to develop in a a, quite a generic way but then also have individual programs that can hit the bullseye for for what where they are in their development so um sorry i'm going on a little bit here but it's all right it's all right (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm gonna jump in matt yeah go. and i think just from my experience going through the system as well not a system as as um developed as spurs but uh, a similar academy system as a as a player, then then afterwards as a coach. I think one thing that I really lacked, and this was someone that six foot four ish, was always expected to be the dominant one because of just general size. But that wasn't ever something that was initi- that was actually initiated within practice. 
And that's something that I really struggled with, with bridging the gap between expectations as a, as a larger, taller player and actually being able to utilize that on the pitch. And that that body-to-body contact, that then one-on-one duels was always something that I thought was lacking from, again, from player perspective and, and coach perspective as well. And I think on reflection, I probably should have looked inwards and saw of my experience and and then um, offered that as, you know, as part of a practice. Is that something that you do often? Is there any examples that you can give us where you would integrate something like that to try to mitigate someone like me who is big but doesn't actually, isn't able to actually use that on the pitch? I think a lot of it just comes down to the the experience and skill of the, the multidisciplinary team around the player. Um, like I say, I, I don't think you can blanket everybody with the same program. Mm. And so I think when you have the, your individual time, whether it be on the pitch or in the gym, it's important that we work on the things that you just said. And so um, if we, we've identified that with you or without you, that this is what you need, then of course you need individual time to uh, to work on that. But then we, we do practices with the older age groups where if we know that somebody needs that, doesn't like contact, doesn't like being sat into, if you're a centre-back and doesn't like a number nine and you don't know how to deal with it, well, we'll games start with the ball being thrown in on that exact scenario to that player. And so little things like that in small-sided games and everything that you can kind of get little... Um, nuances within training that without saying right everybody this is now individual time <laughs> yeah the, the clock starts 10 minutes you know it's without actually doing that you you can manipulate practices to kind of get those kind of outcomes um, and it's similar in the gym we, we have our of course we have our group programming but then we have our individual cards as well so we have our individual programming and, we, and if we've identified um at, like I say as an MDT that this is what this player needs then we might do something in the gym that might work on that, that that one thing but also get the outcome that they might need and so um so we, we've had examples of that in the past and so uh we, we've actually got older players that you know for that exact exact reason don't they don't like contact as much as other people so well as their their individual program and they might have side plank wrestling they might have something that brings a bit of aggression and a bit of you know, contact to them, get people get used to, um, to that. Um, and, and so I, I think it is, it's very much down to, down to the people around you, I think, to uh, all identify it, but then also collectively implement something. I think what we've got to be careful is obviously all, what we learn about is strength and conditioning, the sports science and how it links into football. But players are at our training center because they love kicking a football and they're very good at it. And so when a lad goes into the gym or when a lad does anything in, in an environment that doesn't involve boots on or on grass, you, you got, you got, you're a salesman. You've got, you got to tell them why they're doing something. And so as an example, instead of doing a functional trainer, anti-rotation, isometric, uh, athletic stance hold, just call it Zidane strength. You know where you, you you give them the the example. You show them what their um, what what their exercise is, but give it a name that they can relate to. So Dan strength. Well, everybody in the club through language, through football language, knows that that is where we we're strong when we're twist, twisting and turning players. Well, if we can make um, you know the bring the the pitch inside, 
then it's win-win because not only does the player do it, he understands why he's doing it and he's probably going to buy into it better, crank the weight up and do it with a little bit more intensity in his mind as well as with his body. How good was he, by the way? Oh, it was a joke, wasn't he? Oh, <laughs> I watch it. He's one of the few people I actually go on YouTube just over and over again, just watch. It's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Unbelievable. Ridiculous. So we talked about the managing periods of, of rapid growth and the, you mentioned that the, the program doesn't change too much. Is there any, maybe some examples that you could give that um, around the information that you're collecting, which would lead you to at least think about potentially altering things and why you may go about doing that, potentially who else is involved in them decision, that decision making um, and how that really fits around those key growth areas, key growth times. Okay, yeah. So we, we do uh, Camus Roach. Uh, we do it three times a season in line with when the Premier League come in. Uh, anybody that's significantly um, growing, we, we typically go as a, an arbitrary one centimetre and, and above um, per month as an average. Then then we, we, we flag them up. Um, we don't necessarily flag them up to the player. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a believer where if, I, if I'm being told Oh, you you might um, or you, you know you're going through your growth phase now. You might not perform as well. Uh, you might get injured, and I, I'm I'm thinking as a player, well, I just like playing football. I can't. What what do I do? Not go to the part. What do I? And so I think we we've got to be careful in the messages we give people. Uh, the parents, I guess, are a different different beast. But um, I think it's important that we, we're quite delicate around with this kind of information around the players as well. And so. Um, that, yeah, that, that's kind of on my take on that with... So if somebody is going through a rapid uh, phase of growth, then I might not necessarily just test, like do a duck to squeeze and count with jumps or whatever your screenings are to that player. I might test the whole group. Test the whole group, but the one I'm really looking at is that one. I'm looking at that player. And then you might catch more fish than you actually think. And so something like... Um, something like that I've, I've found to work really well and so if I think a player's on the edge or if I want to analyse whether a lad is coping with load as much as, as others then we might do that if if he needs uh, to be checked over by a physio then we might do it in a subtle way where the physio just kind of walks around the gym and um, and you know speaks to a few players and how they're getting on and then gets to the player that we're really targeting and how you feel you know what I mean and how mm-hmm. can you do it subtly that, that um, salesman that, well, you're the salesman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're the salesman. And I think it's without t- kind of putting on the alarms, I just think it's, uh, it is just information. It is just information that informs us that a player is going through that. If, however, a player starts to report that he's got a problem or he reports that he's, he's getting an issue, or we may see with the coach that we know already he's going through his peak high velocity or going through a rapid phase of growth and, and he's possibly not moving as well, he doesn't seem as fluid as he normally does when he's on the pitch, then that's the kind of angle as well that isn't, you can't really measure it, it's not scientific, but in a kind of a San Antonio Spurs way, it's it's kind of eyes, ears, numbers. And so I think if you get experienced people around the building, then you can kind of take that approach. Of course, the numbers will inform or back up what you see with your eyes and your ears, but ultimately, it's it's that kind of thing that you can't always quantify, you know, that, that whether a player is, is is coping or not. And so that's then where we might edit a program. And I think if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have given you the scientific, I would have said, I'll reduce him by 
he'll be um yeah and, and you know i'll reduce his his gym by x amount i'll give you some sort of scientific answer i think it's very individual um and so we need to kind of keep that in mind i think just because a lad is going through that and maybe he is having problems we want to keep his boots on his parent and i guess i'm a parent now of, of two kids and i can kind of sympathize really with the parents that the sacrifices they make mm. is just it's phenomenal yeah. it's, it's unbelievable but some of the like it can take half an hour just to get from the M25 to our training <laughs> center, and, and it's about 500 yards. And so it's the sacrifice they do is incredible. So that when they drop their kid off, of course they they want to be able to take the boots out of the bag and put the boots on and things like that. And so can they be a bounce player? Can they be can they be a server? Can they do things on the grass that that you know that um that might that might get them out there and. I think if a player is off the pitch, then we'll, we need to make sure that he, he returns to his car with sweat on his shirt um, and have done stuff that he, that he couldn't have done if he was at home. And so we need to make sure that it, almost like in a, a graphic equaliser sense, I think I mentioned last, last time that just because a lad is growing doesn't mean we should stop his development. And so if, if, if the physical fader needs to come down slightly, then well, we'll work on the kind of the foundations of that lighthouse. We'll work on mobility, stability, and all the kind of things that can that that, that can uh, affect his movement of when he to kind of keep him moving well while he's uh, uh while he's out. Or if the physical fader's down, then the technical fader might go up. Well, let's have a foam ball. Let's kick it, you know, and let let's do some some technical work in uh outside or whatever in the dome or in the gym or whatever we can do or maybe he's doing something with the analyst and i think it's important that yeah just because a lad is uh is injured or can't do as much physically doesn't mean we should stop their development for six months and so that's the fine balance i think between um between biological growth and and keeping players developing the whole time um, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of how how we kind of manage that. I think that's I think with peak height velocity, everybody views it as a oh injury, injury, injury. Everybody views it like that. So the way I've tried to view it in the last six or seven years is very, well, what can we work on? So uh, what can you do culture? But also with individual programming, we we t- we have the simplest system, and the SNC purists, I guess, may may put the nose up at it a little bit but it's so simple it's silly where we'll have we know what what they need to work on so their performance profile whether it be from their power profile or their speed profile um either they need uh non-counter movement or starting strength work do they need eccentric tolerance do they need elasticity works or longer distance sprinting or whatever it is um do they they are they before their peak height velocity, are they circa or are they post? And then you get your nine buckets. And so lads just typically get a squat pattern, a hip pinch pattern, and a and a lunge pattern based on where where they are in that that kind of matrix. And so if they need starting strength work um, and they're before their peak height velocity, where you're typically going to get neuromuscular gains, well, they're going to have some sort of non-counter movement plyo in a horizontal direction. Um, that, that that kind of overloads in the, with their squat pattern then might overload you know the thing that they they need work on in their biological growth because you, you're going to have people in the same session like i say that they've got a gap of four years in biological age so we need to make sure we're hit, hitting the nail on the head with them especially for 
at least a third or a half of the session. So somebody on the flip side that might need, uh, there might be after the peak height velocity, they might have, um, but they still need non-counter movement work. Then we might be working on more strength work. We might be getting the kettlebells out, dumbbells out, might be working on something still with a tempo of non-counter movement, but something that kind of gets those morphological changes that their body is, is ready to give. And so just by giving those simple kind of buckets in their programs, that's really helped our, our kind of development. And it keep, kind of keeps our what can you do culture of those going through their peak high velocity. Well, we can still give them simple exercises they can do that kind of keeps their, them progressing in their, in their own way um, and kind of keeps it specific for their, their, their phase of growth. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So if you want to check out the full episode with Matt, it is number 354 of the Pacey Performance Podcast, and you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I will chat to you next time.